And it's really what drives me to be relentless in accomplishing my big why is because I don't, I can't follow someone unless I feel like they have what I want or they have what they said they were gonna go do. Like they set out to build the thing that they wanted to build. And so I'm very much in that same mindset of if somebody's gonna follow me, it's going to be because I have the results. Hello, everybody. David Donaldson here with another exciting episode of Entrepreneurial Impact. And can you believe it's December already? I mean, we're counting down the days till the end of the year. Uh, my associate, Joe Martin, is not able to join us here today, but I have the amazing and incomparable Mayor DePache from Richmond. And I tried to put my own little spin on the accent there, so I hope I nailed that uh-huh. just right. But our Richmond fearless team leaders, Maria, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Hi, David. Thank you. I'm doing really well. And thank you for having me on here. It is an honor. I am addicted to this podcast. I listen to it the minute it drops. What? So the minute, the minute I hear about it, I'm listening to it. So, so you're our first. Probably first all right. download. All right. I love it. You know, we all got to have them. Makes you feel like, look, I feel like if we're connecting with somebody, anybody, you know, then this is absolutely worthwhile. So I, I appreciate it. Absolutely. So Maria, as you then, as a seasoned KG veteran of having listened to the show, mm-hmm. you know, this is really about you. And it's really what we want. We want to share with the audience what makes Maria tick, but we all have to start with a background. We all have one. Tell us a little bit about yours. Yeah, so I'm really glad that you're starting with this because I listened to another podcast that I was on as a guest and I realized I never really talked about a pretty big thing that um, tells you a lot about my background, which is I am 100% an immigrant in this country. A lot of people don't know because I don't have much of an accent, although in re-listening to myself speak, I realize I say a lot of hums and you know and like, which drives me crazy, but (laughs) The reason why I do that is because my brain has to stop a second sometime to actually think because I'm thinking an Italian thought and I have to say it in English. Um, And so that's, it's happening at any given time. So I was uh, born and raised, yeah, I was born and raised in Italy. Um, I uh, moved to the States in 97. I was 14 years old. Nobody do the math. And, <laughs> right everybody's like wait one two uh so yeah I moved to I, I did not speak English I understood it a little bit because I had taken it in school but it really but was a very much like throw you at the deep end and let's see if you can swim and I do think that that has has made me a lot who I am today because I'm not scared of anything or anyone or whatever that conversation is I'm, I'm pretty much fearless and that I think comes from moving somewhere where you don't know the language and you're thrown into ninth grade, like everybody else. There's no ESL programs, um, very much just, here's a book, read it, figure it out. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> well, what was it that brought, brought you? And where in Italy were you from? So, and I'm from a little town by Rome that's called Sada. Um, it's got about 27,000 people. It's, it's um, like, southeast in Rome when you're talking about Rome kind of in the middle um we're an hour from the beach very much reminds me of Richmond a little bit it's got that that uh river vibe it's got a river that runs through it it's a it's the cutest little town 
and I will never live there. I'd love to visit. <laughs> it's different, right? I mean, it's different. Yes, it's it's Italy's a beautiful country to visit. It's a very hard country to live in. I know because my parents both lived there, and I and my sister. And I know you asked me what brought us here. And actually, originally, my parents moved my brother and I together to Arizona. So that was kind of the whole, you know, want to give my kids a better life. Uh, you know, I know one of the things we're going to talk about today is who impacted me. And my mom is very big in that conversation because when I was eight, she was diagnosed with lymphatic cancer. So she is a survivor of cancer, dealing with leukemia now in her mid 60s and really uh, was like, hey, listen, like I'm in my 40s, 50, 40, you know, 45, 50 let's move to the States. Like, let's give these kids a better life than we had. Um, and that's what brought us to the States was really just like the American dream. That's amazing. Like, it's amazing what no, parents will do, right? And, that, and that's a major change. Like I've moved to the States a little bit, but shifting from country and not speaking a language and bringing my kids along, that's pretty massive. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they, they, they sold everything off in Italy. They held down the one uh, property that they were like, let's use it when we go back and things like that. But they moved all their money to the States because to get visas, that's what you have to do. Okay. And so we, they bought a condo. I mean, they probably saved for a good five, 10 years in order to give us that opportunity. So I will for always and always, always and ever take care of my parents if they ever need anything. I'm the first one to be like, here, have it, take it, whatever you need. Well, hey, you know, Arizona's a special place for me too. Both my boys were born in Arizona. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah, love Arizona. Big fan. Visit all the time now. My brother still lives there. So I was in Phoenix for about 10 years and then really everywhere in Phoenix, just because, you know, Phoenix is one of those areas you move around a lot, especially when you're in real estate. And then I moved to Texas and I stayed there for about 10 years. And now I've been in Richmond for a little while. So I moved in the States quite a bit myself. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So my son is actually now talking about going back and going to ASU. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, love it. It's a fun, it's a fun um, university. I had a lot of fun. So I lived there from 26 to 40. So yeah, I, I grew up, I basically, I grew up there, you know. Yeah. My maturing adult age, although I don't like to say mature because I'm not fully mature. You're still a kid at heart. Absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, so, all right, well, that's awesome. You know, I think that that's an incredible journey to say. Um, and you're right. You would know. I just assumed you were from New York with a very thick yeah. New York accent. That's what everybody says. <laughs> I don't know where that came from because I, I visited New York, but never lived there, so. I think, you know, I think a lot of people just had that assumption that oh, you're in the States, you're Italian, you must be from New York, which is crazy, but I think there's a you're lot of that. 100% right. I think that that definitely drives the message in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you, so we've got Italy, we've got Arizona, we've got Texas covered. Obviously, there's a Texas connection to KW, but where does that journey start for you? You said your mom impacted you, but what was that impact like transitioning and moving, but then getting into real estate, getting into leadership and your background there? Yeah. So I've always really been a natural leader. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of like whatever your kids are good at, whatever their strengths are kind of help them in that direction, because there's something very organic about that. 
And I went to private school when I was in Italy and I was always the one with the microphone, like at every school play, at everything that you could think of since I was like eight, they were giving me a microphone and I was going to be the MC slash like narrator or whatever. So I've always been very good at engaging the audience, I guess, for one way or another. And so I've always kind of been the one that's like, hey, y'all are doing it wrong. Let me help you. We're going to go this way instead of that way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was- Just take a I, charge. Uh -huh, and I always talked a lot. And in, in I got the, the, the nickname Chiacchieresta, which means like the most talkative person. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's been with me for a long time, but it's the way that I got into real estate. It's kind of a funny, uh, story because it really did happen by accident. So I was going to college. I had just graduated high school. I was maybe a semester into college and I just, again, language barrier, didn't really have the right conversations. My school counselors weren't really asking me what I wanted to do. I didn't understand student loans. I know this is going to sound really crazy and naive because now that I'm almost 39, I'm like, wait, how did I, how did no one explain that to me? But it wasn't a concept. My family never lived on credit. It was always paid cash. Mm -hmm. And so I thought like my parents don't have money for me to go to college. So unless I can get federal aid, these fancy colleges are not for me. Like I just completely didn't even put myself in that conversation. And so I was just kind of doing my requirements to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? I'm not going to go to a fancy college. And I went to a concert and the, there was a break between bands and I went outside and I met someone and he happened to work for somebody that was a flipper. And I just struck a conversation with him. And, and I said, what do you do? And what do I do? And we just kind of got talking and I was always older than I than I seen. So at 19, I'm sure I talked like I was, you know, 25 or 26. And um, he worked for his brother. Yeah, 25 and 26 is incredibly mature. For a 19 year old. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, he told me that he worked for his brother at like 17 bucks an hour. He would go in and rip out like demo and kind of do the GC work. And I just didn't understand why he didn't do it for himself because I come from a background of people that have always owned businesses. And so I said, well, why don't you charge him as a business instead of hourly? Or why don't you even just flip the house yourself? And he was like, I'm just kind of scared. And I, you know, I don't know if I can do it. And I said, I'll help you. I mean, like, how hard can it be? <laughs> and so uh, I pivoted really fast. My parents were not happy that I dropped out of college. Um, they pretty much kicked me out of the house. And yep, I lived above a friend of mine's garage. Um, he had like a loft above his garage. And that's where I lived until I closed my first flip about six or seven months later. And I would waitress during the day. And then at night, I would fly your entire neighborhoods with these little neon uh, post-its or, you know, flyers that said, I buy houses cash. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went to a couple seminars. I mean, now this is before the uh the first you know uh craft the crash so you're talking about 2004 is when i was doing this 2003 2004 and i finally somebody called and it's funny i don't tell this story a lot because it gets into the minutia but it's really funny because it's when i realized i was really good at sales and it was the guy that had called us that wanted to sell us this house. It was a one bedroom, one bath, 700 square feet in South Phoenix. You could get shot there if you went there at the wrong time. You know. Right? I know. Yeah. <laughs> and he called me and he was having second thoughts. 
to come to closing because the reason why he was selling it was because his uh, nephew was living in the house and he thought he was doing drugs in there and up to no good. And so he said, I'm going to get rid of the house because I'm not going to enable this behavior. And so uh, it was like a feel fell found before I even knew what feel fell found was. And he said, uh, you know, I'm just, I just, I don't feel right about doing this to my nephew and da, 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 da. I, I, you know, I was like, listen, I have pictures. I took pictures when I was over there, um, you know, cause we did a walkthrough and I can tell you that there's definitely things going on in there that you don't want to go on in there. And then at the closing table, I showed him the pictures and I was just like, oh my God, like I have found my calling. I can close anyone on anything like, you know, as a 19 year old, you're, you're silly, but, um, that's how my, that's how I bought my first deal. And I didn't have the money. I figured it out. Um, I sold it to somebody I knew, um, and we actually partnered on the rental on the back end, And that was kind of the beginning of like a six year real estate, like business because it had so many moving parts. But it all just started with just a chance meeting. <laughs> it was crazy because we were then we were absolutely there flipping at the same time. Probably, yeah, I'm yeah, sure that if I dropped I got some names. '07, and I was flipped. I was buying properties in '09 for twenty-two to thirty-two thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah, I think by 2008, 2009, I was already kind of on my way out because I got hit so hard by the recession. Um, and I can talk about that if you want me to talk about that. I think it's all things that make you who you are, but too. I mean, it, that there's stories in that for sure. Yeah. But man, when I was, you know, when you're churning and burning, making $30,000 a month as a 22, 23 year old, man, I had a house in the mountains, my own house, four wheelers, sports cars, trucks. I mean, a boat. I had an RV, like what? Who are yeah, you? Everybody in Arizona had an RV. That's true. That's true. And because of the sand dunes. And a pontoon boat. And a pontoon boat. I had one of those. <laughs> we probably were going to do the same things and we didn't even know. Exactly. That, yeah. That's a funny, funny thing. No, you're right. I mean, I talk a lot. Like those experiences, they, they they founded me, they grounded me, and it was an amazing education. Getting my license in 07 when, when the bottom fell out and you know, relocating here not to hijack your interview, but there was real growth for me personally going through that in my own finance, you know, learning how to invest because I didn't know what I was doing, right? And I did things before I got my license and got burned in the real estate market out there, right? Watching, losing 60, 70% value in some of my acquisitions because I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And the realtors that I was working with had no clue. But then again, who really did, right? Because nobody had kind of really gone that before. Yeah. But when I got licensed and started flipping on my own and flipping with others, I learned very quickly that there's an incredible opportunity here. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great learning experience. I mean, I till this day know how to do PL and pretty much run books because of that experience of having multiple businesses where you have to make sure that you were making money because so much money was coming in. You just didn't quite know unless you were tracking it what belonged where. So multiple chart of accounts for different properties, QuickBooks Pro, I mean, you name it, right? Like spreadsheets, you know, so many spreadsheets. Oh, yeah. I had Excel, I was an Excel whiz because I would have, whether it was for me or for one of my clients, I could walk in, I could hammer out a forecasted buy now, sell in yep. 30. You could do that in Arizona at the time. Permits weren't what they are here in Virginia to get things done. It was no. kind of, it was almost like an in and out. Permits. Kind of wave it over top and then yeah. 
out the window, you know, as long as you're yeah. doing a whole lot of structure, <laughs> nobody's yeah. going to know what was going on. Yeah, no. I mean, it it was going so fast too, right? I mean, you can make a $30,000 mistake really easy because a lot of these houses were flipping so fast. I mean, for us, I know I remember we quickly switched to wholesaling because we just figured out it's not even worth our time to get these crews going. Uh, we did do some fun projects. Like we did a 32 unit condo conversion. That was really fun um, from like a, from a commercial to resident, uh, to residential unit. Oh, you got to win those condo conversions. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. That was fun. So was the conversation for a while. Yeah. They were going the right, everything was happening the right way. It's just, nobody knew how much the mortgage mortgage industry was going to impact everybody else, right? We just didn't know. And the amount of non-real investors, and I'll put myself in that category of buying property that I shouldn't have been buying because I didn't truly understand and I tried to hop on the appreciation curve, right? Yeah. New construction or fix a flip. It was going to happen whether I bought properties or not. Yeah. But that was the biggest thing that people didn't understand that I wish I had known that I found out later. It was like the reverse. But you know now, it's like expensive. Oh. Lesson. It, it yeah. was an expensive lesson. Yeah. Well, it was pretty cool to hear, like, you at 19 recognize that on to, like, you, we talk about impact. You impacted somebody immediately because you saw opportunity, right? Oh, so, yeah. from your parents of running a business, being cash positive and being accountable to yourself, but recognizing that entrepreneur, entrepreneurism, I could say it, right? It's my show. Yeah. That <laughs> it's not for everybody because they're not from that mindset. Right. Yes. It, I believe that. I mean, I think sometimes you meet entrepreneurs and they're not in real estate and you're like, oh my God, you're amazing that you thought all this up and, you know, and then they'll take on real estate and they kill it. And that's just because they just, they're going to be win no matter what they're entrepreneurs, they're going to figure it out. And so that's, that's, I think that immigrant edge that people talk about when it comes to me. And it's kind of my secret weapon because like that sounds like a whole podcast, right? The immigrant edge. Yeah, I that's true. That, that does sound good, actually. I think you're gonna have to write that down. That might work. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I run with that. I need to. I need a name. Yeah, that's good. Market sell back to you. Yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. That's funny. I'm just being entrepreneurial. Right. It's good. I like it. Well, and you know what's funny? What this conversation makes me think about was something you just said about those spreadsheets. You know, now we at Keller Williams, right? Gary Keller is always talking about your job when you walk into a listing appointment is to put two hats on. You either have the listing agent's hat on or you have the investor slash buyer, buy and hold potentially, right, hat. And I, you know, back then, first of all, I didn't even know Gary Keller was, which was my bad. I wish I would have. I, would have, I wish I would have known about Keller Williams, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I was walking in having that conversation because it just made sense, right? For me to be able to tell a seller that was calling me off my buy and hold, like, listen, this is where I need to buy LTV, loan to value. It may not make sense to you, but guess what? No worries. I have a flipping company that can come in and you can pay for the contractors to do the work, or I can sell it for you at this number. So like I was going to get business out of that regardless because I had all the options and all those options just grew out of me walking into an appointment and them going, oh, I went with someone else because they had XYZ. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to go build XYZ. And that's why I ended up having a flipping company, a wholesale company, a, a contractor's company, a rental hold, which is kind of a property management company. And then of course, just my retail 
hey, you need to buy a house, you need to sell your house, I can help you with that. I think that's absolutely incredible for you to have been doing that at, at such a relatively young age and to have no barriers around your mindset saying that I can't do it other than each time you ran up against an obstacle, you're like, well, I'll rip off a duplicate and bring that in. Like, mm-hmm. I'll just make that happen. And I wasn't with KW. That's the craziest part. I was with this small mom and pop shop Who was and it? it was Sun Homes Realty. The broker's name was Tim Hunt which great guy cannot say enough great things about him. I mean, try to think about managing somebody like me. That's like, I got a new idea. And he's like, Oh my God, what, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but he had like eight or nine agents. So I think it was manageable for him at the time. Um, and he just tried to, you know, make sure I didn't get everybody sued. I was with Russ Lyon. Yeah, I do remember them. Yeah. Are they still around? Uh, they got bought out by Sotheby's. So they're Russ Lyon. Makes sense. Um, the thing was, so when they were just Russ Lyon, they were small, local indie, but relatively known. It was KW. It was KW. Like that, like I was very fortunate to get my start there because it was very much KW. Because my first experience with KW wasn't what I was interested in. Yeah. And then around when Russ Lyon, or when Russ Lyon became Sotheby's and they became something else, I found KW, which was exactly what I had at Russ Lyon. So it was kind of a, a cool change of events for me. Nice but always give me what I was looking for, which was education, training, and how to build a business through a sphere of influence, but through a small local brokerage. That's fantastic. Sometimes I wonder like if somebody had handed me the MREA when I was 20, if I had gone the investor route, because I think that's my passion around that book is the fact that I think it makes something really complicated, really simple. And I just didn't have the formula. Like, I just didn't know that it was a database game. Like nobody told me that for a long time. I just was talking to a lot of people because I, I know nobody was coming to my house, knocking on my door, trying to get a listing appointment. So I had to go to them. Yeah. Another, you mentioned buy and hold. So the yellow book, the whole book was written by Steve Chater, who actually is KW out in Phoenix. Oh, oh, well, there you go. Makes sense. Yeah, he's out in, in the Mesa market. He's oh yeah, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of positive things that came out of Phoenix at that time, and a lot of things I watched evolve evolve from those ground zero type of locations, right? Coming yeah. here, it was so different. The the knowledge, the experience, what people had gone through here versus what we went through then, it was two completely different realisms and stories mm-hmm. of how somebody experienced the shift. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. It's funny that you bring that up because it actually makes me think about something else. I think Arizona as a whole is like a transplant state. So it very much has that like entrepreneurial edge of, you know, people are just going to figure it out. I mean, listen, if you want to live in 110, 115 degree weather, you're a little bit crazy anyways. So as as a state, because everything is so new and it went through so much growth around that time, there was a lot of people that were struggling at the same time. And it's funny because a lot of us did the same thing, which is what I did next after I got out of real estate, which was multi-level marketing. Mm-hmm. And um, coming then what I did is I moved to Texas in 2011. And okay. just like you said, totally different experience. I mean, people in Texas actually saved money. It's a conservative state, you know, so they're going to always err on put it in the bank account. Don't spend it. And that's a different mindset that you have coming from Arizona where you know, everybody's spending every penny that they have, you know, very much that like California vibe a little bit. Arizona was crazy cheap. Like I remember, so I moved from Northern Virginia in 99 to 
Arizona, you know, three months. And the amount of money I was making here, then I actually got a raise to go there and I was versus buying a house here for 170 to buying a house there for 190. They were apples and oranges. It yeah. was it was crazy how much of a different and how far your dollar went mm-hmm. in that area. You're right. And so I did have a little bit of spending frenzy because the dollar yeah. was different. Oh, I know. That's what that's what people do in Arizona. Like they're always spending money. It's just a different you adjust to the market that you're in and you cater to those clients and you kind of end up, you know, getting stuck in that if you're not careful yourself. Yeah. So, so yeah. let's now talk about that experience, then multi-level marketing, and then into leadership at KW, because now you're leaning on your experiences, right? Arizona's, the good and the bad, mm-hmm. right? Multi-level marketing, which is incredibly hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, Incredibly beneficial, but incredibly hard. But it'll it, it'll refine you for sure on the sales yeah. side. So now yeah, being I mean, in leadership and building agents' businesses, how's that yeah, come so, for you? Well, it's really easy because when you think about the fact that, like you said, MLM MLM really does refine you as a salesperson because it makes you have to um, learn and and know how people work, and because you're selling something that nobody needs. It's a it's a hundred percent a want, right? Nobody needs a travel membership. Like it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a need. It's a want a hundred percent. And so it makes you understand, like you have to go find that person's motivation in order to move them into action. So when I was done with my multi-level marketing thing, I was like, okay, this is kind of not a cool thing to do. Like I, it took me a little bit to figure it out because I did well in it. Um, and, and I was like, I can lead people. I mean, I have this giant um, group of reps. I mean, my group alone was 600 reps. And obviously I'm good at leading them, but I just miss real estate. And that was, I, I miss the entrepreneurship of real estate. I miss that component of like, there's so many different things that you can do. And I'm, I just got tired of just doing the same thing over and over again, was just selling, you know, memberships and, and, and signing up people. And so I moved into leadership with, so the way that I came into KW was I, somebody gave me an MREA and I had, was studying for my real estate license and was with this other company, which we shall not name. Um, <laughs> and somebody gave me the book that was with that other company and said, listen, I know you don't like it here, but I don't know if you've heard of Keller Williams, uh, you should read this book. And I was like, okay. And I, I took, I read like two chapters and, and my mind was just blown. And I closed the book and I started calling every Keller Williams office in Dallas, Texas. And luckily, one of my, you talk about people that impacted you, um, Seychelle Van Poole, which is one of, the, one, uh, one of the agents here at KW, she's in Gary Keller's top um, 100. She happened to be a friend of one of my really good friends. And they talked and said, hey, Maria's looking to go into you know, Keller Williams. And she's like, you have to take a Keller Williams personality assessment test because I think you'd score so high as a team leader. I mean, you already know how to recruit, you have a real estate background, you love people. And sure enough, I took the KPA and it was just a dead ringer for the team leader role. And that that KPA really opened up a lot of doors for me because once the regional director got a hold of it, which is Smokey Garrett, um, then it went to different OPs and then they were like, what office do you want? There's multiple opportunities. And I don't know if I ever suggest somebody coming into KW and becoming a team leader all at the same time. I think that was maybe a bit much. 
but I did it. I survived. Five years later, here we are. Well, and then you know, from there to here, right now, look, you're you're rocking it and killing it down in Richmond, which is just awesome, and we're happy to have you here with us. You know. Yeah, but you know what I realized is it's so much a team sport, and I think that's probably the biggest thing because coming into KW, it takes a minute for you to really understand the culture. I always say like first you join KW and then KW joins you. Like it takes a minute for it to like get into your heart. And the first year as a team leader was really hard for me because I I was used to like a top down conversation of like, I'm going to tell you to go do this and you're just going to go do it because you're, you work for me or I'm your boss or, you know, you're in my downline. And then I quickly understood like, wait, those people, these people that are around me, they're not just going to do what I ask them to do. I actually have to do the work and getting to know them and finding out what motivates them you know, the 30, 60, 90 and the career visioning process to really understand how do I move my team into action? And so I, it's, I take almost like I'm leading the ship in Richmond, but I take very little, um, whatever you call it, like accolades or recognition for it because it's my team that does the work. And humility, right? You're working through others, right? That's, that it's, it takes a very humble person to be able to lead through others, right? And just kind of, it's okay with kind of stepping off and be like. No, but I really do. <laughs> oh, that, that's awesome. Yeah. And one of the people that impacted me along the way that I don't give enough credit to enough times because when the, you get an opportunity to do this is Dick Lacare, which is my, so I, I took a team leader role. I did the team leader role for three three years at this one office. And then I went and uh, basically was the assistant team leader under him at another office in Dallas. And I was with him for a year and I was really purposeful in taking that role because he was a team leader that had been in place for 11 years and had 250 agents. And I want to say 130 of those were cappers. I mean, his his results were just unbelievable. And I was like, I need to come learn from you to figure out what you're doing and what's working because obviously you figured something out. And what he taught me was that you don't go, you don't build around your agent, you build through your agents. And so if you're having an issue, it's not, oh, how do I get around them so I can go fix it? It's like, no, how do I go talk to them so they we can fix it together? And that was probably the best and the lesson I implement on a daily, like everything I touch, none of it is me. It's all, who's, who am I going to do that with? Who's going to be my person that I'm going to do this with? Who's going to be the one that runs with it? Because I'm doing so much. I can't do it all. I have to pick and choose. So imagine it, you're in Richmond from 11 years. So instead of somebody saying, I got to go work with the Glicata, I need to go work with Maria. And you're helping them with systems and their big why and like how those things happen for you. So have you given a lot of thought to that? Because <laughs> that is really cool. And it is something I, you know, I, I don't want to speak for him, but my assistant team leader and I were like, you know, thick as thieves. And I think he does want to work with me. I think he, he sees like, oh, wow. all this. And sometimes I slow down and I go, okay, why did I just do that? Tell me why I just did that. And I want to hear it from him. And it's cool when he does something and I'm like, wait, did I tell you to do that? And he's like, no, I knew you would though. And I'm like, oh my God, I love you. Um, <laughs> you can never leave me. I call him magic Robbie. Um, and, and I say all this to say, I, I, 
I hope that that happens. And it's really what drives me to be relentless in accomplishing my big why is because I don't, I can't follow someone unless I feel like they have what I want or they have what they said they were going to go do. Like they set out to build the thing that they wanted to build. And so I'm very much in that same mindset of if somebody's going to follow me, it's going to be because I have the results to show whatever that is, whether it's my portfolio. I know that's one of my big uh, things, whether that's, you know, a ton of passive income is I want them to come follow me because I've done it. It's not just, you know, yeah. people talk about like. Well, now you're talking about legacy. Like, yeah, yes. Like, so as we start to wrap up, you know, what does legacy look like for you? Like, what's next? Like, what do you want to leave behind and go, you know what? I did that and I made a major impact in doing what I did. You know, I think the the easy answer to that is I want to leave things a little bit better than I found them. And I think I've already done that is one of the challenges is that that check, I mean, check that box. I think I can see the results and 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 really know that that's the truth. I think ultimately when I'm gone, whenever that is, whatever that looks like, I just want people to really, I want that legacy of like, who was Maria or what did Maria do as someone that really helped people implement the MREA and, and, and understand it and make it part of their everyday life in real estate. Because I know I'm big on the domino effect. Like what's the one thing that such by doing it can make everything else easier or unnecessary. And I think if somebody really understands the four models of the MREA, they got it. I mean, they can go do whatever they want, right? Because then when they figure out what their number is, and I have that behind me, the lid, when they figure out what that number is for that. I saw it on the board. I was, I paid very close attention to everybody I talked to to kind of see what's going on in the background. Yeah. Yeah. That's the lid. And those are all the systems of either a market center or an, or an agent. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they, and it's, it is such a proud moment. I mean, I have to tell you when you have people that, you know, they, they're, they're taking the MREA and they're going like, man, in the last year I implemented everything that's in here. Even if they don't say it's because of me, I don't care because I know that it's because I brought it up. Right. And so it's, it's kind of like a weird silent like I get really happy when people are succeeding and I don't have to be thanked for it. Like it doesn't, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for them. that I'm happy oh, enough. It goes back to that humble again. It keeps coming around. That, that's who you are. And that's, yeah, that's awesome. Like that's to me, that, that is it, right? Humble, not proud of hearty, not arrogant or assertive. Somebody made me memorize that early on in my life because I was not humble. So they had to go out of the way and teach me what that meant. So that's something that's always stuck with me. And, you know, for you, that, it's so natural and so gifted that I think that's that's incredible. Yeah, it's a life calling. I mean, you can tell someone, I think when you meet them, what what really drives them and if they need recognition. And I just, I function on such little, and, and it's almost to my detriment in some ways because sometimes I don't give my team enough recognition because I don't need it that I'm like, oh, surely you know how amazing you are. And then I have to stop and realize, no way, you have to actually tell them that they're doing a great job. <laughs> like, okay. It's, it's, a, it's an ongoing joke in my office that Maria is going to say something nice. <laughs> well, listen, Maria, I can't 
express enough that how happy I am that we were able to connect and relive our time in Phoenix. You know, I think I knew that. Yeah. But I that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, I look forward to this rolling out and sharing this conversation with our audience of, you know, hopefully more than just you, uh, although you, I'm sure you will listen to it back. Uh, for those of you that are listening, we thank you and thank you for joining us as we interview Maria today. And I look forward to seeing you all again on our next episode of Entrepreneurial Impact. Have a great week and I'll talk to you all soon.